We are now in our new series entitled, God's Vessel. For the next two months, we'll be studying the book of Daniel. And today, we will look at Daniel chapter 2. And the title of our message is The King's Dream. I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow along. First, allow me to share some interesting facts about this book of Daniel. In our English Bible, the book of Daniel is considered a book of prophecy. It's grouped under the major prophets along with Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. But in the original Hebrew Bible, the book of Daniel is grouped under the Ketuvim or the writings. It follows after the book of Esther. It's fascinating to know that both Esther and Daniel tell stories of a godly woman and a godly man who remain faithful to the Lord despite the challenges they face. And God used both Esther and Daniel for His glory, despite Israel's exile among the pagan nations. And here's the outline of Daniel chapter 2. The king's dream, God's revelation, the dream's meaning, and the king's response. And here is the theme or the lesson of our message today. God is in charge of world history and He is in control of our personal stories. God is in charge of world history and He is in control of our personal stories. So let's dig in. First, the king and his dream. Verse 1. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Daniel chapter 2 records the first dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, and another dream was recorded in chapter 4. Notice it says the dream happened in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now how does this date tie up with chapter 1? Chapter 1 says that Daniel was trained for three years before entering the king's service. Here's how. You see, the Babylonians use a different system when dating their kings. They consider the initial year of the king as the year of the accession, and the official first year of the king's reign would start at the beginning of the second year on the throne. So King Nebuchadnezzar had his dream during the second year of his reign, which is after the three years of training of Daniel and his three friends. Now let's go back to our text. It tells us that Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. That's in the plural. He had several dreams. But verse 3 tells us that there is one particular dream, singular, that made the king anxious and troubled. Now think about it. Nebuchadnezzar is a ruthless king. He defeated and killed many of his enemies. And being a cruel warrior king, he wouldn't get scared easily. So how could that dream cause Nebuchadnezzar to panic? That tells us that his dream was no ordinary one. In ancient cultures like Babylon, they consider dreams as messages from the gods, and if a king fails to heed the divine message, he would put himself and his throne in serious danger. So what did the king do? Verse 2 tells us, Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king's dream. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. King Nebuchadnezzar called for the spiritists, and the wisest people in those days. The magicians are soothsayers who interpret dreams. The conjurers are enchanters who cast spells. And the sorcerers, they are incantation priests who lead rituals to foretell the future. And while the Chaldeans are astrologers who study the heavenly bodies to discern the times and seasons of significant events. In short, King Nebuchadnezzar got all the human wisdom available to him, including those who practice occultism and dark magic. Now here's the dilemma. In verses 4 to 9, when the astrologers asked the king to tell them what the dream was so they could interpret it, King Nebuchadnezzar demanded them to say to him his dream and then interpret it. 
The king replied to the Chaldeans, the, co the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. We're not sure exactly why King Nebuchadnezzar made such a strange demand. Some Bible scholar says that it's possible that the king may have forgotten the dream. Perhaps he only recalled the terror he felt, but vaguely remembered its details. And during this time, it was considered a bad omen to forget a dream because it meant the gods were angry with you. Now, other scholars say that the king did not forget his dream. No, he was only testing this man to ensure that their interpretation would be accurate and that they won't lie to him. Whichever is the correct reason, one thing is for sure. King Nebuchadnezzar was desperate to know and understand the meaning of this dream, and that is why the king gave them two choices. He said, If you fail to tell me my dream and its meaning, you'll suffer violent deaths and your houses will become manure piles. On the other hand, tell me the dream and its meaning, and you will receive great rewards. And knowing that the king's word is sure and final, what did this wise man do? Verses 10 to 11. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurers, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. The king's sages were supposed to connect with the divine, but they admitted their incompetence. Now here is something that they got correctly. Verse 11 tells us, Yes, there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. They were right by saying no ordinary person could do what the king was asking. It's beyond human ability, and it can only come from a supernatural source. However, they were wrong when they said that the gods, plural, could tell the king his dream. No, there is only one true God and only he can do what the king is asking. You see, here is the irony. These wise men, especially the astrologers, they study the heavens, but they don't know the God of heaven. And they said they could not do what the king has asked because his demand was unreasonable. So what happened? They repeated their plea to the king, but Nebuchadnezzar remained firm with his decision. Verse 12. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So he decreed went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Now let's just pause here. What happened here from verses 1 to 13 is actually a setup from God. For what reason? See, for the first reason is to expose the limits of human wisdom. One can easily claim to know how to interpret dreams, but this could just be lies made up by men, and this fact is what King Nebuchadnezzar himself realized. Second reason, God used incident to set up Daniel and to use him for his greater plan. Now, why is that that Daniel and his three friends were included in the kill order? Remember, Daniel and his three friends had already finished their training by this time, and most probably they were serving the, as apprentices to the wise men. And that is why they were not part of the meeting with the king, but they were already considered part of the group. And as the story goes, Daniel was the next person on the list for execution. And what did he do? Verses 14 to 16. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment. He said to Ariok, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? 
And Ariok informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Verse 17 to 18. Now Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And what happened after Daniel and his friends appealed for God's mercy? God gave them the answer in the middle of the night, which leads us to our next point, God's revelation. The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. God revealed to Daniel both the king's dream and its interpretation, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Notice what Daniel did immediately right after God answered his prayer. Did he go right away to Arioch with the good news? No, instead Daniel prayed first and blessed the God of heaven. He praised God and gave glory to him. And think about it, the Bible did not record Daniel's exact prayer of request to God, but the Bible recorded Daniel's prayer of praise to the Lord. Verse 20 to 21. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and epochs, he removes kings and establishes kings. First, Daniel praised God for his power. Verse 21 says, It is he who changes the times and epochs, he removes kings and establishes kings. Daniel also praised God for his wisdom. He gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. Daniel acknowledged that God is the source of wisdom and he is the revealer of mysteries. And these verses 21 to 22 are the key verses in this chapter. Daniel honored God for his wisdom and power. Daniel continues in verse 23. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have been known to us the king's matter. Daniel acknowledges that the God of his father is the one who has given him wisdom and power, and it is the God of heaven who has made known to him and his friends about the king's dream. So here is an important principle that Daniel's prayer teaches us. Only God's wisdom can reveal the mysteries of life. He does not only know the future, he is in charge of it. Therefore, let us praise God and thank Him for His great power and wisdom. Let us praise God and thank Him for His great power and wisdom. And why is this truth important? During this time, Daniel and some of the Israelites were exiled in Babylon. Eventually, the whole nation of Israel would be deported there. While in Babylon, they also experienced some measure of oppression, so it was important for the people in exile to know that God knows the future and He is entirely in charge of history. And not only that God is in control of Israel's history, He is also in charge of the history of the entire world. And now to emphasize this point, reflect on this question. Who do you think is the main character in the book of Daniel? Is it King Nebuchadnezzar? Is it the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Or is Daniel himself? Not at all. You see, the main character with the capital C, the main character in the book of Daniel, is God himself. Yes, Daniel and his three friends have significant roles in the story, but they are only secondary characters. The main character is the God of heaven. Yes, we can indeed learn a lot, especially from Daniel. No question about that. He displayed admirable characteristics amidst a crisis, and these are godly qualities that God wants us to emulate. 
as the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. But you see, the book of Daniel was written to show that Daniel's life story is first and foremost about God's glory. It is not about displaying Daniel's greatness. Daniel's life story is first and foremost about God's glory and not about Daniel's greatness. So here is one principle I want to teach you. When you are reading through the Bible, especially the narratives or the story, don't miss the whole point of the author by asking and remembering this, that the main character is God himself and God is the hero of the story. So as you read through Genesis, Exodus, and the other books of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament and the New Testament stories, don't forget to ask this question. How does this story highlight that God as the hero? How does this narrative display God's character in the lives of his people, his goodness, his faithfulness, his justice, his mercy, or holiness? God is always the hero of the story. Now, while God is the biggest hero of the story, we can also learn from godly examples from the secondary characters like Daniel. Throughout the book of Daniel, and particularly here in chapter 2, we learn what faith in a big God looks like amidst a crisis. Let's look at Daniel's character. First, he showed composure. Let's look at these verses. Daniel spoke to the king's executioner with discretion and discernment. Everybody else was in a state of panic, but not Daniel. In the face of an impending death, he remained calm. His faith in God helped him have composure in the midst of a crisis and chaos. Next, Daniel showed courage. Remember, Daniel was a teenager during this time. He was about 17 to 19 years old. He's a Hebrew exile and a new apprentice. But he took courage and asked the captain to give him time and face the furious king because he knew God was on his side. Also, Daniel stayed connected with God and had a prayerful attitude. When faced with a crisis, Daniel maintained a prayerful attitude. He went to his friends and asked them to pray with him. Prayer was his first resort and not his last option. They prayed for God's help and requested for lives to be spared. And by the mercy of God, the Lord answered their prayers. Next, Daniel also showed compassion. Amidst a crisis, Daniel's faith in God allowed him to think of others and not just himself. Think about it. The wise men whom the king wanted dead were pagans. They practiced sorcery, occult rituals, and they talked to the dead. These are the things that God is strongly condemned in the Torah. And more so, they were Israel's enemies who killed a lot of Jews, destroyed Jerusalem, and burned the holy temple. Daniel could have said, Who cares if they die? This is my chance to get even. But Daniel cared. And Daniel considered others and did not just focus on his needs and his concerns. Daniel showed compassion. In the fifth, Daniel showed humility. If anyone has any reasons to be proud, it would be Daniel. Chapter 1 tells us that he was handsome, brilliant, and godly. He had an amazing education and was ten times wiser than the other wise men in the land. What's more, Daniel could understand dreams and visions. But despite his competencies and skills, Daniel remained humble. And later, we'll take a closer look at Daniel's humility. Again, Daniel's character, he showed composure, courage, he connected with God, he showed compassion and humility. So friends, here's the question for us. 
Are you like Daniel? During a crisis, do you display composure and courage? In facing difficulties, do you stay connected with God? Do you show compassion and humility? May God help us. Again, God is always the hero of the story. And this truth will become even more apparent as we go to our third point, the dream and its meaning. Verse 25. Then Arioch, the king's executioner, hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. And Daniel continued, However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king what will take place in the latter days. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place in the future. Did you hear what Daniel said? He emphasized that God is the hero of the story. Daniel told the king that no mortal human could interpret the mystery of the dream. But there is a God of heaven who can. And as Daniel elevated God, he also showed humility, which is a contrast to the pride and the arrogance of the astrologers and the sages of Babylon. As for Daniel, he was able to interpret the dream, not because of his own wisdom, but because God used him as his instrument to make the king understand this truth, that God is in charge of world history and he is in control of our personal stories. Now let's look at this table summary of the dream and its meaning as told by Daniel. There are four things to note here about the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. First, it looks very imposing. Verse 31 tells us that it's a great statue. It was huge. Its brilliance was impressive. Second, it's in a human form. The statue symbolized human kingdoms. Third, the materials decrease in value from top to bottom. Notice the downward progression of its value, from the most valuable gold to the least valuable iron and baked clay. And fourth, while the statue's material increases in value, its composition increases in strength, except for the last one, which is clay. Gold is the softest, while iron is the strongest material. As we will see later, these empires actually get larger and stronger. But before we continue, let me emphasize this reminder. You see, when we read these kinds of prophecies, either in Daniel or Revelation, we tend to get caught up in the interpretation of the symbols and its meaning. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as we don't forget the whole point. For Daniel, the main point is that God is sovereign and who is in charge of world events and history. He is the sovereign God who is in charge of world events and history. And this is what the Bible scholar Chemper Lohman highlighted when he said, It is not the content of the revelation of the future that is primary. What is most important here is the fact that it is only Daniel's God that knows the future. Again, God is the sovereign God who is in charge of world events and history. Now let's take a closer look of the statue in more detail. Daniel explicitly said that the head of the gold represented King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the Babylonian Empire. Note verse 37 and 38. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the strength and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or of the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hands and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. Did you hear that? Two times Daniel told the king, it's God who has given you kingdom, 
power, strength, and glory. And the same is true for the other world empires that would follow over the next hundreds and thousands of years up until today. It is God who gave them the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And the book of Habakkuk tells us that God raised up King Nebuchadnezzar to be his chastening agent to discipline his people, Israel. And do you know how long the Babylonian Empire lasted? Approximately 70 years. That's equal to the length of time God sent his people into exile. So going back to our text, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. He was a unique king because he had centralized power and was a one-man rule. When ancient historian Herodotus visited Babylon, this is what he said, This city has more gold than any other city I have ever visited in my life. Gold oozed out of every pore of Babylon. Next, Daniel said after you, There will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Now Daniel does not tell us specifically what kingdoms will follow after Babylon. Remember that during Daniel's time, what he said was considered a future prophecy, but today most of it is already considered history in our present time. So if we look back at history, here is what we'd find out. The silver chest and two arms represented the Medo-Persian Empire. History tells us that a coalition of Medes and Persians under Darius conquered Babylon, and this empire lasted more than 200 years. Interestingly, silver was the primary metal of the empire, and Darius required his subjects to pay him in silver as tribute. Next, history shows us that the third kingdom, the belly and thighs of bronze, refers to Greece and Macedonia. Alexander the Great of Macedonia conquered the Medo-Persian Empire in 331 BC. Note that the Greek soldiers wore bronze armor, their helmets, breastplate, and shield, so bronze became the symbol of the Greek Empire. Then we go to the fourth kingdom. The iron legs represented Rome, which conquered the Greeks in 168 BC. In Daniel's day, iron was considered to be the strongest metal. And similarly, the Roman Empire was the strongest empire of all. It did have armies in iron armor known as the Iron Legions of Rome, and it had strength and invincibility. The Roman Empire was also the largest in terms of conquered territory. And just as the legs are the longest part of the image, the Roman Empire lasted the longest. How long? It lasted more than 500 years. Now in the vision, Rome has two legs of iron. You see, the Roman Empire eventually split into two. In 285 AD, Emperor Diocletian decided that the Roman Empire was too big to manage, so he divided the empire into two parts. The western part had its center in Rome, and the eastern Roman Empire had its capital in Constantinople. And finally, in 395 AD, the empire was split into two for good, and eventually the eastern empire became known as the Byzantine Empire. How about the feet and toes of clay and iron? The iron in the toes represented the breakup of the Roman Empire. The toes are partly iron and partly clay means that this kingdom will be a mix of both strong and weak nations. And Bible scholars say that the ten toes are also the ten horns mentioned in Daniel chapter 7. Now, if you check out the Roman Empire's history, you won't find anything about a ten-king federation. Thus, this prophecy is yet to be fulfilled in the future. So many scholars believe that there will be a return and revival of the Roman Empire. But it's going to be in a weaker state, and it's going to be a coalition of ten kings. And some scholars also connect this prophecy to that of Revelation 17. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. 
they will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. Now, one Bible commentator said this, the Roman Empire in some form or another will be revived under the leadership of the final fallen dictator, the Antichrist. Is this description accurate? From this side of history, we are not 100% sure. But here is something that we need to know for certain. This rule of the ten kings won't last forever. Why do we say that? Let's go to verse 34 to 35. He continued looking until the stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like shaft from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. What's the meaning of this part of this dream? There are three descriptions. First, the stone was cut out without hands, meaning this stone had no human origin and was not made by men. It denotes that it comes from God. Next, we're told that the stone will strike the feet of the whole statue and it will come crashing down. The statue disintegrates and it leaves no trace of having been there. And finally, the stone that struck these human kingdoms will become a great mountain. The stone grew much bigger than the statue and eventually filled the whole earth. And what does this stone refer to? It refers to the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the mountain pictures God's all-transcending government that endures forever. Now here's the point. Jesus, the King of Kings, will defeat the final human kingdom, and Christ's coming kingdom will replace all human rule. As verse 44 tells us, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. And what kind of kingdom? It will be a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. You see, this event is the most significant part of the dream's interpretation. Again, it highlighted that God is the hero of the story. When God appears, all human kingdoms will end, and His kingdom will be greater than any human-made kingdom. Christ's rule will last longer than any worldly empires because it's an eternal kingdom that will never be destroyed and will endure forever. Friends, given this reality, reflect on your life. Are you part of God's kingdom? And when God returns, will you enjoy His eternal reign? If you are unsure, you still have time to choose and be on God's side today. But here's the question. Will you humble yourself before God? Will you acknowledge Christ as your King? Will you bow down to Him in total surrender? Will you live your life obeying His will? May God help us. God gave King Nebuchadnezzar a vision of the future. Through Daniel, God showed the King and us today that these events would come to pass soon and in the far distant future as well. And what Daniel predicted is certain because God is in charge of world history and He is in control of our personal stories. The last point, the King's response. Verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. After King Nebuchadnezzar heard Daniel, he fell on his knees before him as a sign of honor. The king recognized the God of heaven as the real hero of the story, and the king realized what Daniel hoped for all along. Look at what he said. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Did you hear that? King Nebuchadnezzar honored God and acknowledged that God is supreme over all, even above Nebuchadnezzar himself. 
So here's another principle that I want us to consider. Do you look for opportunities to honor God's name and point others to Christ? Do your words, attitudes, and actions put God's glory on display? May God help us. And in keeping with his promise, the king greatly rewarded Daniel for his service. You see, Daniel did not promote himself before the king. Instead, he pointed the king to God. And what did God do? He used a pagan king, King Nebuchadnezzar, to promote and reward Daniel. Verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Because Daniel trusted that God is in charge of history and he is in control of our personal stories, God rewarded him. And now God has his faithful vessel, Daniel, exactly where he wanted him to be. God used this faithful exile not only to influence one king, but God used this humble vessel, Daniel, to impact multiple rulers of the two significant world empires. And God used Daniel's story to honor his name and to point others to him during Daniel's generation and even until to this very day. Now, after being promoted, what did Daniel do? Verse 49, And Daniel made requests of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, over the administration of the province of Babylon, while Daniel was at the king's court. Daniel requested for assistance, and he chose the godliest man he knew, his three friends. And God greatly used Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be his vessel to proclaim and declare his glory in a pagan nation. Now let's summarize and reflect on the lessons we've covered. First, live in faith. Live in faith. The king's dream has one point. God is in charge of world history. On the other hand, Daniel shows us that God is in control even of our own personal stories. When we believe and live out this truth, we can face our trials with courage and respond in faith to whatever crisis we face. So let us be like Daniel. Let us respond to our challenges, not with fear, despair, or hopelessness, but with composure, courage, a prayerful attitude, compassion, and humility. As Christians, we can take comfort in knowing that our big God is in charge of history. We can face this pandemic with composure. We can be calm despite the geopolitical crisis in Ukraine, Taiwan, or the West Philippine Sea. And regardless of the outcome of the upcoming elections, we can have peace. Because our God is in charge of world history and He is in control of our personal stories, we know that God is working to fulfill His purpose. Next, be God's humble vessel. Be God's humble vessel. History shows us that there have been many leaders who ruled wickedly and oppressed many. And during their times, it seemed like their rule would never come to an end. But history proves that God can change the times and epochs. He removes kings and establishes them. So, are you in a position of power, strength, and influence? Don't forget that God is the one who gave that to you. More importantly, Always humble yourself before God, because as John the Baptist says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Use what God has given you to serve him humbly and put him on display. And in his time and in his way, he will promote and reward you. And this brings us to our last point. Point others to Jesus Christ. Point others to Christ. Like Daniel, God has sent us on a mission to show the unbelievers and the ungodly who God is and what God is like. So let us point them to the King of Kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. How? 
Be like Daniel and use every opportunity to point out that God is the hero of our stories. To end, the wise men of Babylon told King Nebuchadnezzar, And there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. These wise men said that gods do not live among humans. They were wrong, because hundreds of years later, the one true God, our Lord Jesus Christ, came in human flesh and lived among us. Why? To establish His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, first by saving sinners like you and me. And one day, Christ will come again, and He will put an end to all evil, disease, and pain. And He will finally bring into completion what Daniel prophesied. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. It will endure forever. Let us pray. Your soul, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. O Lord, this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hands, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of the beautiful story that indeed you are the one who is in control. You are the all-powerful God, the all-knowing God. In your wisdom and your strength, you sustain everything. Thank you for reminding us that we need not to worry because our life is in your hands and whatever happens in the world is in your control and nothing is outside your will. Father, help us because many times we don't understand things why things has to happen to us, given this pandemic, the challenges that we face. But more than seeing these challenges, help us to look beyond it and see how great, how big you are, our God. Help us to trust in you and to walk by faith. Father, forgive us for many times that we have created you in our own image, that we have put you in a box, that we have thought of you so little. Forgive us. From this day forward, help us to return to you and see how great, how big you are, O Lord, our King. Thank you, Jesus, because we know that someday you will come back again to establish your rule and reign forever and ever for the honor and glory of your name. Father, help us as we wait on you. Help us to face our challenges. Remind us always that you are also involved in our personal stories, just like Daniel. Empower us by your Spirit. Give us wisdom and strength. Help us to live in humility and fear of God. Help us to have composure, discernment, and discretion. And help us, Lord, to live with compassion as well. May we be salt and light to the places that you have called us to be. Father, we ask for those of us who are sick, we pray that you grant us healing. For those of us who need financial needs, provide for our families and our businesses. Bless us, O Lord, so that we can be a blessing to others. We pray for our country. We pray for the whole world. We pray for this pandemic. Will you end it soon, O God? Help us, Lord, to discern and to know what steps to take so that we can move forward. But more importantly, help us, Lord God, not to fear, but to walk by faith and to do everything for the honor and glory of your name. Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you for this beautiful message. Help us, Lord God, to be one church, one family that pursues you and that always think that you are indeed the hero of our story forever and ever. Thank you so much. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. God bless us all.